0: All right, I'm now joined by current affairs editor uh, and author of uh, um, Nathan J. Robinson. How are you doing today, David? Hello, Ben Burgess. It's been a long time. Yeah, I haven't talked to you in 24 hours. Okay. Maybe more like 25. Yeah, so how's uh, how's your Sunday been? Well, I'm currently
1: editing a uh, piece for Current Affairs that we've got going up this week about the Internet Archive and e- uh, publishers extorting libraries for uh, ebooks books um, and preventing libraries from lending out ebooks. It's going to be
0: very good. Nice. Yeah, just... Uh, uh... Uh, I just finished watching uh, uh, Salt of the Earth I haven't seen it in many years because I was going to write something for Jack about it so that's been uh, my afternoon
1: you, you know that Salt of the Earth is Noam Chomsky's favorite movie
0: uh, that, that makes sense to me
1: <laughs> He's always asked like do you like any movies and uh, every time he's asked this he goes yes Salt of the Earth it's a fantastic <laughs> movie
0: yeah, I can see that. Uh, yeah, kind of the, the angle of the article is, uh, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, Hollywood, uh, the you know, politics of Hollywood is the sort of, uh, of food code for liberalism out of touch with the concerns of ordinary people, that whereas, you know, that's obviously there's some hyperbole and cultural nonsense that's good to that but there's not nothing to it. But then again, you know how it got that way? Cause they purged all the people who wanted to make movies that, uh, that intersected with the concerns of ordinary people. Uh, just watch salt of the earth. You know, that was made by all these people who are blacklisted. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and he, he contrasted it with, uh, the film, uh, on the waterfront with Marlon Brando. Um, which is about a corrupt union and which won all the Oscars and, uh, came out the, came out the same year and it's very anti-union. It points out that, you know, that on the waterfront was held up and celebrated. because It's got the an anti-union message, but salt of the earth, with it's pro-union message was totally buried.
0: Yeah. Well, I think they actually tried to make, uh, at one point on the waterfront, uh, even worse, like the, uh, is I think if I'm remembering correctly, uh, there was a. Um, uh, There's like somebody who was involved in it who. Uh, like they had a. There was a point where they were talking about switching the mobsters to communists to make the David names, you know, analogy, you know, explicit. And, uh, Mm. and, uh, uh, one of the, you know, somebody who was involved, uh, oh, actually, so it was originally written, uh, uh, the, uh, so I guess the first version of the script was written by Arthur Miller, and I remember the story being that they wanted to change the mobsters to communists, and Miller was like, you can't put my name anywhere around this movie if you do that. And yeah. uh because I was like, man, this the second we try to make this movie pro American Arthur Balks. Mm-hmm. So, uh but anyway. Uh but uh, as interesting as it is, uh the uh the contrast uh yeah. between on the waterfront and uh and
2: yeah. Look forward to your Jacobin
0: article, that's gonna be great. Yeah, um, and, you know, I want to, like, talk about how it's, like, uh, you know, if I could work this in, like, how funny I think it is that's, like, they made, uh, like, I remember Good Night and Good Luck. Did you ever watch that? Um,
1: good Night, it's, uh, is this is the Murrow, Edward Mario film with the,
0: uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's, like, that was, like, the early 2000s. And uh, and I remember it got the Academy Award, and I remember just thinking, "It's like, man, this is amazing that Hollywood has given you know, like it given itself awards for movies about how McCarthy, how bad McCarthyism was. Yeah, uh, fifty years after it would have taken any sort of courage to do that. Well, and of course,
1: uh, McCarthy, the, the in that film, uh, Morrow is exposing the United States government. But Hollywood McCarthyism, I think, probably gets off the off the hook if I if I remember it. Oh no, I think, that's,
0: I think that is right. For a while, so I saw it, but that does that does seem correct. I mean, I guess they guess they didn't really make way about Hollywood. As if it,
1: yeah. There's this effort to portray McCarthyism as something done by the state rather than something carried out by private corporations primarily.
0: Right, <laughs> that's a good point. Um. Well. Uh, Speaking of right-wing authoritarianism, mm. uh, you know who could be president again? Oh, good lord! Oh no! Oh no! Must we?
1: <laughs> Must we think J- about this?
0: <laughs> Donald J. Trump, uh, which I uh, which I saw you'd uh, you'd written an article about, and I, I think uh, this seems very right to me, but for some reason I can't quite figure out a lot of people t- seem to just assume that it won't happen. So, uh, yeah, so, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I have a, I have a memory longer than five minutes. So I, uh, remember uh, all the way back to prehistory, uh, the year 2016. Do you remember that? Did you live
0: through 20? Were you alive in 2016? I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Wow. That was, uh, yeah, got, uh, Let's see, 2016. Yeah, okay. I was living in New, I was living in New Jersey. There was, uh, oh, wasn't there an election then too?
1: That was that was an election year, and uh, and it was actually a rather interesting one, because you had a unpopular Democratic establishment candidate uh, running against uh, Donald Trump, and all the Democrats thought to themselves, "Well, there's absolutely no way." that Donald Trump, being ridiculous, could possibly beat our unpopular establishment candidate. Um, And then all of them got a really rude awakening on election day when that is exactly what happened.
0: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, no, which is... I I can actually remember in, um, in 2016... On election day, I went to the, uh, the Chaplain Crap House, uh, live show in Brooklyn. And I remember driving from New Jersey into Brooklyn and listening to election coverage on the radio. They said, uh, well, the only way Trump could win at this point is if he wins like these three, like swing states, he'd need to win all of them. (laughs) I remember thinking, oh, okay, then. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then he wins all of them. Yeah, no. So, yeah,
1: I I mean, I don't know how many people do remember this, but I certainly do because it was big for me. Right. So I spent 2016. This was an important year of my life because we just started current affairs and current affairs began at the beginning of 2016. And the first big article we had was called unless the Democrats run Bernie Sanders, a Trump nomination means a Trump presidency. And it was it was huge. It went viral. And I got on democracy now to uh, debate this liberal professor who was like, that's ridiculous. Donald Trump's not going to be the president. And I was going, OK, but there's a Ooh. lot of anger out there. And uh, so I was spending the whole time like writing article after article going, you know, y'all 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 think you've got this, but you don't you don't got this. <laughs> Hillary doesn't, she doesn't have this. And, uh, and then, uh, the election happened and there was this horrible wake up call that came too late. And it, and then we got a bunch of subscribers to current affairs because people were like, uh, oh yeah, that was a good point.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, look, I can't, uh, I can't take credit for this. I didn't think, I didn't think Trump was going to win in, uh, in 2016. Like I, I thought, um, you know, yeah, I, uh, I was, I was sure. Uh, actually, I can remember being sure that uh, that he would die. Um, and, do, do you remember
1: uh, why, Ben? Do you remember? Can you take yourself back to the mentality to try and explain? You know what you felt it was that guaranteed that this
0: wouldn't happen. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that. Part of it, at least, is, well, I think part of it is just that the memory was so strong of the last couple of presidential elections, where um, people were trying to portray them as closer than they really were. Mm. And, like I think anybody who is paying attention and not just kind of being swept up by media narratives do in like September 2012 that there was no way that Robin was going to win. That was like actually correct. Yeah. Um, the media tries
1: uh, to create drama, right? So that could make you skeptical.
0: Exactly, right? So, so yeah, the, the media tried to portray it as being closer because otherwise, you know, why do you need to watch election coverage? And so I think that memory was very strong. And uh, I think to some extent I just drank the liberal kool about how – Trump is just this obviously ridiculous person and, uh, and he's just so, uh, and, and obviously he's just so repugnant to, like, you know, um, to most people that, that of course he can't win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and I guess to be fair, there were also a lot of polls that said he'd lose But I, I can also remember that night, so on election night 2016, yeah, I went to that stop thing in Brooklyn, which was, you know, kinda of funny funny because they had this whole thing scheduled like planned out, like that like uh only that only works if every one, right? Like that was uh what like, they definitely thought she was gonna win. And um it was uh it was like this elaborate Doctor Strange Love parody where like the joke was all about, you know, how uh uh you know, the joke was all about her winning, and uh, that it sort of collapsed over the course of the night. And I remember actually, uh, later at the night, made out of the bar with some people, and at that point, Michigan was one of the states that was hanging on. And I was like, look, I'm from Michigan. Every election that I've been old enough to remember, the, uh, the state has you know, Michigan has been red until the votes from the county come in, <laughs> and then it flew. So it's like, so we've been <laughs> portraying this as if it were like up in the air and it's like all suspenseful because that's just what always happens. And then it didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Oops. Uh, and, uh, and it's funny because I was never, like, look, I was, like, very enthusiastic. I mean, I obviously voted for Bernie. I was, like, very, very enthusiastically, you know, pro-Bernie. I, I kind of uh, – I, I did uh, – uh, I, you know, I, I guess the first um, – uh, like, one of the first articles I ever wrote for anybody was about – it was in Counterpunch. It was all about how bad Hillary Clinton was. uh. I, uh, uh, I mean, you know, I voted for Jill Stein in the general election. That's how much I hated Hillary, but I did, uh, but, uh, but this, uh, this, the point that I can actually only remember one moment of obscenity, like when, when I, when I actually did put it together that it's like, oh, right. Like she's, she's a really, you know, cause it's like I always like hated her morally. Like, I thought she was despicable, you know, working, yeah. you know, had uh, you know, neoliberal and it supported welfare reform and had, you know, there was a few tables that showed she'd intervened and, uh, uh, you know, that like her, the State Department under her tenure had lobbied the Haitian government against raising the liberal banks for $5 a day. Oh yeah, hey, I remember that. Yeah. That was pretty despicable. Yeah, and she bragged in the hardcover edition of her memoir that, about her role in enabling the coup in Honduras. Uh, took it out of the paperback. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, it's like I, I deeply hated Hillary Clinton, but, yeah. somehow, but somehow I thought that she was still going to win. And I, I remember only really having one moment of lucidity where it really occurred to me how much trouble she might be in in the general. And then I think I must have just suppressed it again. And it was the day after yeah. the Michigan primary, actually. Uh, which I don't know if you remember that, but the uh, it was like a really striking thing. Like because uh, the five thirty eight, uh, my uh, my high school classmate actually Nate Silver uh, had uh, had said at five thirty eight that there was like a ninety eight percent chance that Hillary would win. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then he's like, and then he's like, ninety eight, not hundred. Ninety eight, not hundred. I didn't say hundred. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I, so I, I actually saw at a Facebook post the morning after the primary. being like, oh, isn't it interesting that in this important swing state, the two, uh, both both primaries, were run by, were won by people who were positioning themselves as like economic populists who hated NAFTA and all this stuff, you know, Bernie and Trump, uh, gosh, uh, if Trump is dominated, Who do you think is going to be better positioned to, to be him in the general? And so that was like the one moment where like, I, I, yeah. I think I said what I should have been saying all along. Like, cause by the end of the night, it was just like, I felt like an idiot because it's like, yes, of course. Right. Like, I, I think somewhere along the line, I've I kind of forgotten this really basic thing about electoral politics, which is that if nobody likes you, it's hard for you to win elections. <laughs>
1: it is an obstacle. <laughs> you know, because an election is a popularity contest and all that.
0: Yeah, and so if you insist on a candidate who's just tremendously unpopular, people don't like you
1: know getting them to vote for them, put them in office. It might be hard.
0: Yeah, they, they might they might lose. Uh, and uh, you know, it, it, yeah, turns out. Uh, and yeah, that after the election, there was this just a series of like different responses by liberals that all consisted of one version or another of well really if you think about it this is the voters fault
1: yeah or or as well she didn't really lose you know she yeah, didn't yes. win the popular vote
0: yeah exactly uh yeah well at least she won the popular vote uh so it doesn't you know it doesn't really count even though it doesn't like, really
1: count except in in far as it does because you know it determines who's president and all
0: yeah so like the first the first couple months after the election uh there was all this talk in the media about uh you know the various moral failings of the white working class uh they used this acronym the uh wwc uh i don't know if you remember that um, and which i have to say particularly pissed me off uh since in the part of the country that I come from, which, like, if um, if Hillary Clinton had just gotten as many votes as Obama did in Detroit and Flint, she she would have won Michigan. And, you know, mm. if, if she'd done as well as Obama had in Milwaukee, she would have won Wisconsin. And, uh, and this idea that... Um, like this whole weird racialization of it, oh, it's the WWC. It's like, yeah. Do you think that, like, all of the working class people who live in Detroit and Detroit are white?
1: Uh, we we ran an excellent article by uh, Malaika Jabali that I think it won an award actually called The Color of Economic Anxiety and uh she wrote that after the after the election like a year or so after the election the where she went to milwaukee and spoke to black voters who didn't vote for hillary and didn't turn out and uh and uh you know her her point was that actually uh you know if you want to talk about who the democrats lost you you should just as well talk to black voters in r- rust belt States cities as, uh, as your, as your white working class.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and you know, if, and honestly, if anything, if you actually look at the numbers, um, I think even in 26. So like probably most black voters in these cities who didn't vote for Hillary just didn't vote or, um, or voted up at the top line blank. There's actually a lot of that. Uh, But also, uh, I believe even in 2016, uh, Trump actually won a very slightly larger share of the black vote than Mitt Romney had in 2012. And uh that picked up again in twenty twenty. And you know, I don't want to exaggerate that. That's still a very small percentage. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously there are much larger patterns for the last several decades of American electoral politics, but still like um, this is uh you know, the the sort of slow uh the slow tipping away at traditional democratic constituencies does Go towards this problem about how it's hard to win elections if nobody likes you. Yeah. and, uh, and uh, then um, with that in mind, um, you know, Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: there's a lot of poll. There's a lot of polling that suggests that he's not that popular.
0: And, and really, like, specifically, like, we, I think we actually talked about this last time you were on the call-in. Uh, really, specifically, there's a lot of polls that suggest he's not that popular among Democrats.
1: Oh, I know. It's, it's the majority of Democratic voters don't want him to run for reelection.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, you'll, you'll eat your <laughs> Joe Biden, you'll like it.
1: Like, that's a, that's a lot. That's the majority. <laughs> they don't want him. They want someone else. That's what they say. You ask them, that's
0: what they say. Yeah, well, so so maybe this is a good – we could go back to Trump later, but maybe this is a good time to talk about the someone else problem because, um, look, my uh, – like, my preference personally – would be I don't care how old he is, uh I still wanted Bernie Sanders to run again. I, I wrote an article last fall saying that uh Bronkovas also wrote one of those. But it turns out that Bernie's list of priorities don't include uh, making sure that Ed and Bronco aren't disappointed. Uh yeah. so uh that was not happening. Uh and um you know which actually I uh, you know I, I should say like all joking aside I understand the strategy that, you know, that he thinks it could maintain influence with the Biden administration by doing this. I do think it's disgusting.
1: It, well, he also doesn't want to be blamed for losing a primary and then being called the reason why Joe Biden lost re-election.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but in the absence of Bernie, there's uh, Marianne Williamson, uh who, I, uh, I I met a couple weeks ago, and uh, she 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 struck me as a uh, you know very nice lady. Had a good conversation with her. Uh, in the uh, and in the event that she's on the California ballot in the primary, I will certainly you uh, certainly have my vote because she's the only person who's talking about Medicare for all and uh, the um, you know a lot of other things that I care about. But so far, I'm not wildly optimistic that she's going to be a major force in the election. Uh, right now, she seems pretty marginal. Uh, the And, uh, you know, the only candidate who actually, at least based on her polling, granted, it's May of the year before the election. Anything can change. Uh, but as of right now, the only other candidate who's polling significantly in Democratic primaries, is, uh, is one uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. Yeah,
1: RFK, RFK Jr. So uh,
0: so, so what's... Uh, all right. So so you're somebody who doesn't want Biden to uh, be the candidate again. So you must be excited about this RFK Jr. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, finally, finally, the
1: progressive insurgency we've been waiting for. Is there a...
0: Yeah. Is there a... Kennedy's 2024 side in the current affairs window in uh, New Orleans. What what are are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, no, I'm not fond of him. Uh, We just, my colleague Lily Sanchez and I just published a long dive into RFK's record. Um, Now, it's difficult to know how much of the support that he's getting in polls right now is an endorsement of RFK's actual priorities, uh, right. And how much of it is uh, name recognition, the fact that his name is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., um, and the fact that people associate him with his father, Robert F. Kennedy Sr., who ran a, uh, an inspiring sort of anti-war little bit campaign in the, in the uh-huh. 60s. Um, and, you know, how much of it is just, oh, there's another guy running who's not Joe Biden? Fantastic. Perfect. I'll vote for him. Um, so I don't know how much of a serious force he is, um, but it's it's concerning to me that he's like the main alternative and also sad because, you know, we dive into his long record. Of, now, he has some good things in his background, right? He was an environmental lawyer and he, he sued a lot of polluters, um, but he sort of took a hard pivot to anti-vaccine activism. Uh, and he really pushed... The idea that mercury and vaccines was turning children autistic for a long time, and you know, it was totally discredited and disproven. And he's probably done a lot of harm with this stuff. And he he has sort of opposed as a you know a liberal who is just concerned about you know children's his 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 organization is called Children's Health Defense. Uh, but we went through his book, which is called A Letter to Liberals. And uh, it suggests that all he believes in is just having a debate about vaccines. He's not saying they don't work. He's just saying. But well, then it turns out he is saying that the COVID vaccine doesn't work. That other vaccines cause, cause autism. And he does so by just just distorting the evidence in a in a way that is pretty blatant. <laughs> um, and so he's a very untrustworthy guy. Like he's lying. Like he just lies over and over and over. Um, about masks he lies about the studies on masks he lies about the studies on vaccines um, which I don't I don't like and then even when you go to the other parts of his platform that sort of appeal to some progressives uh, oftentimes it's not clear whether he really he sort of presents himself, for example, on war as an anti-imperialist, and he's kind of critical of the Biden administration's policies on Ukraine, which I, I think is good. Uh-huh. Um, but you look at his policies, and there's there's really not much there that progressives could get excited about. And he's certainly not, you know, he's certainly not Bernie Sanders.
0: Yeah. So I was watching a interview uh, that. Uh, he did on uh, breaking board uh with uh crystal ball Zagra Jetty and, and uh, in that interview uh the, near the beginning Crystal uh kind of presses him on okay, you're you've got all these like criticisms of the the way that the pharmaceutical companies, uh, are, um, like, you know, basically the, the way that, like, the, uh, the FDA is in bed with the pharmaceutical companies, the conflicts of interest, and all this stuff. And, you know, that part of the list is, you know, all true, right? But, uh, she kind of said, okay, so, so do you want to, like, what's, you know, do you want to nationalize the pharmaceutical companies? And he was yeah. amazed, you know, like, no, never that. I wouldn't want to do that. Right? That's, that's not the right thing to be here. And he even started talking about how uh, you know, we really need free markets in, uh, in pharmaceuticals. That's the problem. You Whatever, know? it's, it's, oh, it's not a free market. Yeah.
1: We uh, haven't had real capitalism. <laughs> exactly. Did he? Yeah. Did he say it was
0: crony capitalism, Parchad? I don't know if he and uh, an odd health insurance, he was better, but even there it was striking that this is supposed to be the big like uh, progressive alternative. And as I was listening to him talk about health insurance, all I could think is, oh, this sounds exactly like Barack Obama because <laughs> uh, yeah. like he said this thing that I actually remember Obama saying almost word for word about how he died about how look if we were starting over from scratch he would like single payer. Uh and <laughs> how I remember that. Yeah. And uh but then like as he continued it he made it clear that he didn't even really mean single payer. What he really meant was this was like that there'd be some sort of universal public option alongside the uh private observed companies. So it's like okay now we're really seven with like Obama. And then uh, and then he was like, well, but I don't know how politically viable that would be. It's like, ah! did you just like. Did you just uh, say single payer, but actually I just made a public option, which is the thing even Joe Biden is like officially committed to, although he never talks about it anymore. And then like negotiate with yourself over the course of your interview answer and like ju- and just give up on it.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, Like, I just had the fight in my head and lost. (laughs) (laughs) You know, by the way, just a a side note here, I was thinking recently how... I I don't think it's sufficiently acknowledged that, like, the Affordable Care Act was a fraud. Like, because care isn't affordable. I know this is like a really simple point, but like if the entire point was not even to create, okay, you're not creating single payer, you're not, you gave up on the public option, but it's the Affordable Care Act. So at the very least, like, mm-hmm. a, you know, once it's passed and signed, it should make care affordable. Like it That's... doesn't. I'd pay $500 a month for health insurance and it's crappy health insurance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's certainly, certainly false advertising. Uh, it's no, it's like the affordable care act is, is just insanely bad. I mean, there's like, uh, like the best part is the Medicaid expansion, because that's like, uh, a little, you know, miniature Medicare for all, uh, that uh, at least four people get insurance, but, uh, that's, uh, but like. It's yeah. I mean, certainly the title, certainly the title didn't pan out. Uh, And I remember, actually, God, I remember like a year or two after it passed, there was this thing I would see. uh, You know, conservatives were always going on about how much the cost had gone up, and I was hearing, like liberals sharing these memes all the time that were like showing that actually the cost, you know, the cost had already been going up, and it was going up even more before it was passed. It's like I was like, okay. But you passed this thing that was supposed to be a giant what's the general... Yeah, report. it's the I mean, Affordable Care Act, not the growth-growing cost slightly less fast act. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and this is kind of the this is kind of the heart of it. Like, um, I, I guess I have to say, like, I I really felt like in a lot of ways the ACA uh, was Democrats sort of forgetting that they weren't going to be in power forever. Cause it, uh, cause they're like, Oh, well, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is like, this is fine. We've got this. And then don't worry, we'll like tinker with it later or whatever. But it's like, you don't think that you like, like there are elections every couple. Yeah. Year. yeah. Uh, if it's not good, you'll lose. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Um, and this idea, it's like, it, it just, uh, that like you, it's so clearly like this idea that, like, part of the, the strategy of that title, the Affordable Care Act, is that, like, the sort of main thing that was supposed to make it more affordable is that people could, like, compare plans. You know, they could, like, window shop for health insurance and that that competition will drive down prices. And it, it's such an insane theory if you, like, really pause to think about that because, um, like, just this idea that people's relationship with, you know, with, with their health insurance is going to be like their relationship to like, you know, which gas station they stop in as they, you know, drive down the road. It's like, Oh, I think it was like a little bit cheaper, a couple blocks away. I'll wait and stop there. It's like, no, it's incredibly, it is a giant pain in the ass to switch yeah. health insurance. Uh, well, people, yeah. no, people, but, but yeah. doing it for very good reasons. Cause like, oh, now your doctor is out of network. And, you know, if you're even if you're just out of prescription, you've had refilled every three months for the last 10 years. You have to, you know, it's like now you have to uh, find a new doctor who's in network and have the first meeting with them before you can do the second one to get your, you know, new prescription. You're, like, counting out pills the whole time, and it's incredibly stressful and annoying. And, uh, and also – like this idea that, you know, and also health insurance plans are written in this incredibly opaque way. The well, idea that yeah. everybody's just going to be sitting down like doing line-by-line comparisons. No, but yeah. babe,
1: it's, it's worse than that because what – I wrote a long article about this because I had to shop for insurance on the, on the market – on the Obamacare marketplace. And I realized after going through all the plans that it was actually mathematically impossible – to pick the best plan you you can't do it because what happens is like you don't you don't know you don't have enough information there's no you're just guessing like you're just guessing which of these plans is the best and there were there have been economists uh Paul Krugman there was another economist who have said like this is too complicated like I can't I I sat down and made a spreadsheet and tried to figure out the optimal plan, but you can't do it. Like you don't have sufficient information because what happens is so like an example of this is it gives you a sheet that is like a breakdown of hypothetical costs under this plan, okay? So it will give you like, all right, so let's say you go to the hospital and it's $2,000. This plan has a 20% deductible. You'll pay this much for the 20% deductible. And then, you know, this percentage of this afterwards. But on the sheet, it says, this is not a cost estimator. And you think, well, what does that mean? Of course it's a cost estimator. Look at it, it's a cost estimating sheet. And the reason it's not a cost estimator Is because it's giving you a hypothetical hospital, okay? (laughs) So it's giving you like, okay, let's say your hospital costs this. But you don't know what hospital you're going to end up at. And so you don't know. It doesn't give you the information of like, at this hospital, you would pay this amount. So it's giving you hypothetical hospitals, and you don't know what's in network. So you literally cannot estimate the costs, And it says you can't estimate the costs. So I wrote a whole article that was like showing how it is not actually possible to do the thing that is the whole justification for having the marketplace, which is having consumers try to rationally shop for the best insurance plan for them. Like even if they were really good at math, even if they had hours to sit down, they don't have enough information to choose the best
0: plan. Yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, it, um, and it's, yes, it is insane, and honestly, even if you had all the information in the world, like, uh, just the idea that this is going to work like a consumer good, is you know, it's just crazy on its face. I mean, like, that they, uh, that uh <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I just like I always think about like the um, the sort of thing that you'll hear from uh, capital V capital S very smart conservatives sometimes that uh, they'll be like oh well actually uh, what we really need is uh, price transparency which by the way is already a violation of free market principles but whatever you know if you could force legally force hospitals to uh, uh, declare how much they'll charge for everything but even if you did right okay um. I, I'm just imagining like being rushed to the nearest hospital uh, my birth, and on my way, I'm being like, Oh, how much is this going to be? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I could swing that. Can you take me to the other hospital across town? Right. Like it's yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is, this is Exactly. The kind of, uh, inspiring populist policy that, uh, means the Democrats never have anything to worry about in, uh, in elections. Well, uh, yes,
1: to get back to it, mean, this is all kind of a tangent, right? The, I, sorry uh, to be writing about the ACA. Um, but, the, but the point is, you can't defraud people, right? They're going to know. You can't just pass an act called the Affordable Care Act, and then <laughs> you go like, like, oh, well, maybe they won't notice. They'll think that a care is affordable now. No, they're going to notice that it was a fraud and then they're going to hate you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is definitely, (laughs) (laughs) that is definitely a danger. Uh, so yeah, it, it looks like on the democratic side right now, there is, uh, this, um, very unpleasant choice between, uh, Joe Biden, who uh, obviously is Joe Biden, he's terrible, Uh, and uh, RFK Jr., who says some better-than-average things about Ukraine and, uh, you know, some other issues, but uh, has, uh, (laughs) you know, has, like, some of the record of the vaccine stuff, definitely doesn't, you know, fill you with confidence about his honesty and integrity. And also he just seems to be kind of a normal centrist Democrat on a lot of issues. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, and then uh, the Republican side, um, it, it seems again, I understand it's May of the year before the election. It's like the, uh, I'm sure, you know, the old joke about the, uh, uh, the guy who gets the stay of execution for a year. If he could teach the King's horse, how to So says the, and you know, the guy says, why did you take that? That's, that's impossible. It's like, look, it's a year. Anything could happen. You know, I could die. The king could die. Maybe I'll teach the horse how to sing. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> you know, maybe something big will change between now and the primaries started at the beginning of next year. But right now on the Republican side, it feels pretty impossible to imagine it being anybody but Trump unless he literally dies or goes to prison.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, that's uh,
1: you know uh, our uh, our friend Brianna Joy Gray told me she's like you haven't written about Vivek Ramaswamy. And, <laughs> uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I uh, maybe I should, but also, like, that guy's not gonna win.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure that if you did write about Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, uh, the by far the most common reaction to the headline would be, wait, who's who's Vivek Ramaswamy? Who? <laughs> is
1: that? Uh, well, he, I, I mean, there is a lot to dislike about it. He just had an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal saying we need to raise the voting age to twenty-five. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, under twenty-five, you could get you could be allowed to vote if you pass a
0: civics exam. But, yeah.
1: the, but the boomers don't have to pass a civics exam.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, yeah, I, I have. Um, which also I will say is one of the things that makes me not worry very much about this guy becoming president. I, I think that, uh, uh, I, I don't really know that uh, fewer of you people should be allowed to vote. is going to be, a I will fight.
1: take away your, <laughs> the franchise from you <laughs>
0: is, uh, I don't know. Has that ever been a winning platform? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. There's Vic Rabiswan. Uh, there's, uh, you know, friend of the show, uh, Ronald DeSantis, uh, yeah. who uh, I will say, like a couple months ago, uh, it seemed like it was widely believed that DeSantis <sighs> was be like a really credible candidate. And, you know. Yeah. And then people saw him interact
1: with ordinary voters.
0: <laughs> He's yeah. Uh, I saw somebody point out that, like, clearly his staff told him that he wasn't smiling <laughs> enough, and now he smiles <laughs> way.
1: And, and now they're like, no, 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 don't smile. Oh, never mind. <laughs> never mind, stop that. Yeah. Uh,
0: it's and he, it's also – it seems like he's also in a really weird position right now because he uh, – because he has to run in a way, like when, when Trump was indicted, I think his response was very telling because he sort of tried to wedge in a thing about, like, well, look, I don't know what he says to going to hush money to a porn star. Uh, but he still, like, he was doing it, like, but overall, it's still a defense of Trump. And it seems like, you know, if he does go through with this, uh, like, I, for some reason, it seems like he's in this really weird position where he can't really go all out criticizing his beta opponent because if he does, then it's like he's siding with the ribs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, stu- he's stuck. He's kind of fucked, uh, I, I think. Uh, we got a big profile on him coming out in current affairs. Uh, tentative title is just Florida Man. And he's uh, I didn't write it, but it's very good that a writer actually found, which I didn't realize Uh, I knew he'd been accused by former Guantanamo detainees of supervising their torture. Um, I didn't realize that he had made statements appearing to corroborate that he had been the one to, as a legal advisor, Find ways to justify the legality of force feeding people on hunger strikes. Um, so, so this is this is a thing that he actually our our writer found quotes from DeSantis uh, from an interview where he pretty much admits to some of the allegations that were were made against him. So, uh, which kind of surprised me because I, I I didn't realize I thought he had not commented on it, but.
0: Yeah, uh, the only comment I have seen was that, like, really shrill, defensive one, uh, where he was casting doubt on the idea that anybody would remember him. Uh, which, um, yeah, who would remember their torturer? Yeah. Why would that be an experience that would stick in your memory? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Why would that be a face that would never,
0: ever leave your mind? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Yeah, but right and like I I guess I'd also say. And by the way, if anybody uh, wants to uh, call in uh, with a question or comment, now is the time. We've got a real hard out in the the next ten minutes. But uh, but I have. But yeah, the other thing about DeSantis, I will say, is that I do think that uh, DeSantis might be the Like, I think he might be running into the Republican version of Twitter. Is it real life? Because it seems like his constant, it's like, it's, you know, he's constantly trying to play to essentially whatever, like the most terminally online want to think about the news 24 hours a day. Republicans are most worked up about any given week. Um. So, for example, if he has the, uh, uh, like, you know, if, if they're, if they're all worked up about, you know, the possibility of some child somewhere going to drag shows too sexual, who will do like a press conference or a gubernatorial task force to address this crisis. Uh, my, my favorite example, uh, was when he announced a tax break for buying gas stoves. Uh, as we are both Florida residents, you will appreciate what's particularly funny about announcing a tax break for gas stoves in Florida. Like, who <laughs> hasn't got stove in Florida?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, but, like, all of this stuff is, like, very good at play to a very specific constituency. But actually, I think it might just be that, like, among those other problems, they're just really aren't as many of those people as there would have to be.
1: Well, I mean, he has taken his uh, re-election victory as a sign that he should double down, right? Because he won by a huge, by twenty points against Charlie Crist. Um, I, I think the the thing is, though, that I I take Ramon DeSantis's re-election victory as being more a sign of the weakness of the Florida Democratic Party, which ran uh, Charlie Crist, a former Republican, right, who's just a, a, a boring, a boring soulless centrist. And, and he was just, like, made to lose. Um, but, you know, Ron DeSantis originally lost by, uh, against Andrew Gillum by a very, very, uh, very, well, won against Andrew Gillum by a very, very tiny margin. And I actually think if the Florida Democratic Party could get its act together, um, which is going to be a struggle since they're not they, they're not very competent. But if they could, I honestly, like, I don't think any, all of this stuff, I don't know how much of it really resonates uh, with, m- like, normal people.
0: <laughs> no, I, I think so. I mean, I think that... The, well, also I will say, that before we, we go to the calls, uh, um, that, I mean, yes, I think you're right. I think these, like, weird, like, right-wing culture war fixations have a more li- limited audience, uh, than, than a lot of right-wing culture warriors believe. I think we also saw that in a national scale with the midterm elections, so I think all of the limited TikTok stuff kind of quickly kind of flopped the election. Uh, but, um, but also I think that, uh, I mean, look, take – you know, my my absolute favorite factoid about the 2020 election uh, has always been that Donald Trump won Florida, but uh, the fifteen billion won by – won the state yeah. Trump did, which, you know, would suggest that there's an opening there, <laughs> but uh, – It certainly would. All right. Well, maybe, uh, let's see if we – we've got two calls. Let's see if we can get through both of them before our hard out. Uh F, what's on your mind? Hello? All right. I do not hear F. Uh, They seem to be unmuted, but I don't don't hear them. So uh, I think I'm going to go to strong. But F, if you figure out your technical difficulties before we're done and uh, call back in. I'll take the call then. Strom, um, what is I do, buying?
1: Hey, well, I just thought I'd ask. I have to go watch the race in a minute, but I thought I'd ask. Um, what do y'all think of Bobby Kennedy the II's um, uh, free market thesis? <laughs>
0: so, so tell us about the free market thesis.
1: Just, I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm making reference to (laughs) how he said that there could be no pollution in a free market and stuff like that. I mean, it's just
0: tomfoolery.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Ben, he has this. uh, He he has a uh, a quote about uh, the environment. Well, he says, uh, show me a polluter and I'll show you a subsidy, uh, suggesting that uh, free market under under a real free market system, there would be no pollution. (laughs) Which is
0: amazing uh, because, look, uh, anybody who, you know, took a Econ 101 class in college and still has the textbook lying around somewhere. Flip through it, and you will find this very quickly. I promise you, your wildly pro-capitalist econ 101 textbook will still use pollution as an example of an externality of something that, like, even if uh, that, like, cats uh, that you know that, like, capital you know that economists who absolutely love markets will say, oh, there are all these there are all these ways that you know that like market interactions will work out to everybody's benefits. But of course, that's not going to work for things like externalities, where you know, where people other than the participants in the market exchange are bearing the brunt of it, as when you, for example, dump a bunch of toxic waste into the river.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, if it's if the cheapest possible thing, if you're not punished for putting the toxic waste in the river, why wouldn't you do it? Um. So, so it's very concerning that his view of you know he's an environmental lawyer so this should be the thing that he's actually the best on of all the things and he's saying well clearly what this situation needs is a nice dose of additional capitalism (laughs) i gotta yeah i gotta say i uh not not i don't i don't have much confidence in the guy i don't have much confidence in the guy
0: yeah uh, F, are you uh are you with us now? Can you hear me? I can't. Yeah, we can Oh, great, great, great! Sorry. <laughs> I'll allow the browser to hear me. Um, All okay, good. We'll talk about it.
3: Uh, so uh, this is so Ben. This is going to be similar to the question I asked you last week, actually, before Nathan. So Nathan, last week I asked Ben, effectively, like you know, how do you have discourse with leftists when like things go bad, and in particular. For you, like some of the language you use in your, your RFK article, for instance, like speaks about like the lies. But the real question is like, well, there's a lot of leftists, some who are sort of in, you know, like the, the circles of media that I like included now are like pretty anti, like who will go hard against you if you say, okay, there are these lies or like things about COVID. Maybe they they think that like the vaccines were misrepresented, but they're definitely against uh, 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 whatever like the, the, the COVID restrictions were. So like, my question is like, what, is it possible we need that, that using language like lies is like inflammatory and makes it so we can't speak to basically the people we think are on our side and you know, I, I don't know. Let me know
1: if you need a valid question. That's a valid question. No, I, I, I think that's a valid question. Uh, the thing is that, I, I mean, I actually, I feel like of all the uh, political writers out there, I, I, am, I am a little more on the try to understand people that disagree with you side. Like, like the whole reason for, so I, we go through for like, I can't even remember how many thousand words going through RFK's arguments. Right, and there are a lot of liberals, or there are a lot of people. Uh, maybe liber- there are a lot of people. Whoever dismisses RFK, right? Who would just go, "He's a crank, he's a kook." Uh, I don't have to respond to that nonsense. He pushes discredited garbage. I've always been of this school, whether I'm replying to Jordan Peterson or Robert F. Kennedy Jr., that I will take their arguments seriously. So the respect that I pay them is that I'll read his book. So I read his book. And I've gone through and I feel like the conclusion that he tells lies is justified. So my the way I always approach this is like if you if you going to toss invective at someone, you better back it up. You better back it up. And I think what people respond very badly to is tossing invective at someone and then going like, well, it's self-evident. And they're like, well, it's not self-evident to me. What is what is your evidence? So I really actually try to be very fair to someone like RFK. I try, to be, uh, I try to go through and highlight the good parts of the things he's done in his life. Um, but, but I'm not going to tone down the language if I really think, like I genuinely think these are like damaging lies. Um, and so I try to be friendly to people. I try and like, you know, invite them in. The way we write in current affairs is with a dash of humor um, but I've always felt that like I shouldn't like soften my judgments too much just to make people more likely to
0: like me. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember last year. Uh, so it was at the, uh, uh, there's this in Hay in the UK. It's this, it's this festival, uh, that they, um, they do every year, uh, it's sort of the most the description I, I've heard, although they have incredibly huge uh, uh, Coach Ted Talks, but and, and uh, they, uh, and they were interviewing me at the end and I don't know if the full interviews on YouTube or not, but, uh, uh, but I remember one of the questions was like, Ben, do you think it's constructive that you've called like various conservatives and then the interviewer had like called all these different things I've written where I have called people like horrible and, you know nightmare monsters and things like that. And I was like, yeah, that's a fair question. Uh I definitely I definitely wasn't lying about my feelings, but uh you know <laughs> that's there's a, you know, there's, there's a reasonable question there. Uh, we are at 501. Do you have time to, uh, if we ask them to be quick, do we have time to do the other caller? Or do you yeah, yeah, call?
1: yeah. I can take
2: one more. Okay.
0: All right. Bill, uh, hey. what's in your mind?
2: Hey, thanks for taking the call. Um, About what you were saying with RK Jr., the way I understood what he was saying was that if you have... Free market. Now, I don't necessarily agree with it, but it's how I understood it, that um, if you don't have a type of crony capitalism, which is what he accuses of going on, you would actually have a route to punishing that type of polluter. So do you, do you see what I'm saying? That There is some sense there. It might be naive in a different way, but I don't think it was this total idiotic, like not understanding the economic statement, at least the way I read it.
1: Well, the, the the quote that I that I read from him was, "Show me a polluter, and I'll show you a subsidy." And I, I I think that is, and and also he suggested that like the more free market, the more we have real free markets, the less we're likely to have pollution. I think it is a reasonable point to say. It, it is not unreasonable at all to say that there are various ways in which the state protects corporations for for tax polluting corporations i think it is you know and that if the if we had real legal liability for these things you know there there would be some remedy under a system of, uh, of enforced torts uh, maybe i if that's what he's trying to say but there are a number of things about the quote that suggest that he doesn't quite understand the way in which pollution is very, very strongly incentivized under a free market system.
2: Yeah, f- fair enough. J- just me reading a few other things of his, it, I, I would say that it's, his quote should have almost been, show me a polluter and I'll show you like a colluder, because he, he talks about a kind of crony capitalism in, in, in which those corporations end up um, being able to change rules in such a way that allows them to, to, to pollute. Um, but yeah, that, yeah, that's, but, but yeah, I, I hear you, I hear good. you too. Okay. That's a much,
0: I think that's a much stronger point, right? Cause, cause even if you have like, um, I mean, look, it's, it's not like, uh, it's not like very small, very small businesses that, um, are manufactured, for example, don't have incentives to, to pollute or or don't act on that sentence, I mean they're just they're just more likely to be busted for it.
2: Yeah. Anyway, thanks for taking the call.
0: Hey, all thank right. you. Thank you for the call, Phil. Uh, all, right. Uh, all right, I better head out. Four minutes after, so I am gonna let you go. But uh, the Always fun to talk to you, Ben. Uh, the links to both the Trump can win again piece and the. Um, and the RFK Jr. piece are in the description for this episode, so people should check those out. Uh, On the main show on YouTube, I'm going to be gone tomorrow night. I'm actually going to be on a uh, plane to the UK, but uh, my good friend Jason Miles is going to be guest-hosted. He's actually got some kind of setup to take calls on GTA, which is the first for the YouTube show, so uh, do check that out uh, tomorrow night at 8. Read Current Affairs, subscribe to Current Affairs. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Ben.